Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for visiting us today. You visit, you visit us in various ways every time we come together. But we always sense your presence. We also sense your favor, Lord. That you look upon us in our time together as producing favor from you. Now, as we open up the Word of God and the Scriptures, I pray that you would open up our minds and that we would uh, see, we would hear, we would receive, and that you would do uh, what you desire to do in each one of us this morning. As Don said, that we would leave here not the way we came in, but we would leave out differently. I pray that you would enable me to speak words that are anointed from you and by you. And that these words would land in our hearts this morning. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. My title today is, Are You Somebody? I got a little short. How many of you have ever seen the pilot for the Andy Griffith show? Well, you're not going to see it today, so don't get excited. <laughs> the pilot for the Andy Griffith Show was originally on the Danny Thomas Show. It was an episode of the Danny Thomas Show in which Danny Thomas played an entertainer by the name of Danny Williams, who was very famous, very well known. But anyway, I've got just a short clip as we begin that episode this morning, and it kind of sets up uh, this message today. Go ahead, Adam. at all. Just don't worry about it. That's all. I'll take care of it. He's picked on the wrong guy this time. You'll be mighty sorry you brought me back into town, I'm telling you. You picked on the wrong guy this time, Clem. Name ain't Clem. It's Andy. Andy Taylor. Have your driver's license? Yeah, you can have my driver's license. And you'll kindly take a look at my name. You'll discover that I'm somebody. Well, you know I you know I knew that the minute I laid eyes on you. Huh? Yes, sir. I never seen a car yet that wasn't being driven by somebody. <laughs> so are you somebody? Uh, let's see, I had some stories here I wanted to read. Um, you're going to be exposed to my sick humor today. Um, yeah, uh, what did the woman with disassociative, I can't even say the word, identity disorder tell her psychologist, let me be frank with you. You'll get it. A shout-out to all my friends having an identity crisis. You know who you are, I think. (laughs) A guy went to a psychiatrist because he was having an identity crisis. Some days I feel like a teepee, he says. Then other days I feel like a wigwam. I don't know which one is true. One day teepee, the next wigwam, teepee, wigwam, teepee, wigwam, teepee, wigwam. The psychiatrist said, get a grip, man, you're too tense. Okay. 
That reminds me of one of my worst stories that you'll have to bear with me again. And a guy named, a guy uh, goes to a football game, and James said there's football. I don't know, there may be a game tonight. I don't know. Does anybody know about a game tonight? Anyway, uh, <coughs> well, I started to wear purple and gold today, but uh, I don't want to be a distraction. But guy goes to a football game, and he gets in line to get him a tickets. And as he's in line, he hears behind him somewhere out of the crowd, Hey, George! And he turns and looks. He doesn't see who anybody back there. So he goes ahead and gets his ticket. And he goes inside, goes to the concession stand, get him a hot dog and a big orange. And as he's purchasing his his uh, items, he hears from behind him again, Hey, George! He turns and looks. Doesn't see anybody. Gets his stuff, goes to the football stadium, gets his seat. And as he's seated waiting for the game to start from Way up above him in the bleachers, he hears, Hey, George! And he stands up and he turns around and he said, My name is not George! <laughs> Thank you for laughing at that. <laughs> Are you somebody? Everyone is searching for an identity. A place to belong. A place to fit. Varying degrees of searching, but just about everybody is searching in some ways for a place to belong, a place to fit. And this is why you, you know, people search in different areas and they search in the, down into the top of a beer can or a whiskey bottle or any kind of a, any kind of an alternative to fulfillment. We as human beings tend to always look in the wrong places when, and this is talked about this morning, when we don't know our Creator. If we don't know God and really know God, I don't know, I don't mean know about Him, but we don't know Him, we start looking in all the wrong places, as Johnny Lee sang, for an identity. We resemble then a boat that has ceased to be moored or lost from the dock. And is drifting, looking for somewhere to dock or to beach. You know people like that. I know people like that. A lot of us in this room have been people like that at times. When we were just drifting because we had no moorings. We had nothing that we felt like we belonged to. And we tried to figure out who in the world we are. We'll get to it in a little while, but Jesus is gives us the perfect example of one who has and is perfectly settled in his identity. We will see in a moment, in a few moments, that he, he not only uh, was settled, but he, he stood his ground because of that. The question we have to answer to this morning to us is, are you settled in your identity from the Lord? Or are you seeking... To become someone you are not. Or are you seeking to erect an identity of your own? We watch people, especially kids today, who adopt a particular clothing style, a particular music style, whatever, and there's nothing inherently wrong with any of that except sometimes it's they're seeking an identity that they can attach to themselves because they don't have an identity in God. 
And they're trying to create one. We're also being told uh, today by the culture to question our identity and to seek a false one. We're being told that the what we accept as biologically sound, in fact, we're being told to disregard the truth and create something that isn't true. Embrace something that isn't true. It's no accident that the target of, of the enemy's attacks are little children. No, no, no accident that we, we see state after state after state, the ones who have any sense anyway, passing laws to protect the little ones from questioning their identity and from accepting things that not only are not godly, but are certainly not appropriate for a young child. There's no accident that our enemy is behind all of that. And that we, as God's people, we must embrace true godly identity today. What God says. I mean, you know, it's just so simple. It, it, it just seems stupid for me to have to say, if you were born a male, you're a male. And if you are born a female, you're a female. Because biology has for years said that's a fact. There's no way you can alter that. And yet we're trying to, we're, our identity is being attempted to be skewed by the enemy. You, you can blame the left if you want to, but I'm going to tell you, as I've told you all along, the, behind all of this stuff, I'm not, when I say the left, I don't just mean political, but behind this kind of stuff is always our enemy. Matthew chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 13, and then I'll read through 411. And uh, if you can and would, if you would stand while I read the scripture, I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. And it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John, John the Baptist, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for this is, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit. Mark says there that Jesus was driven by the Spirit. It's a stronger word. Into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Don't be surprised when the devil uses scripture on you. Jesus said to him, 
Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, which he created, by the way. That's not in the Bible. That's my commentary. And their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you. We'll give you what you made. If you will fall down and worship me, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. When did the devil leave him? When he said, Be gone. Make a note of that. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. You can be seated. Isaiah 43, 1 says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. If you have a, if you're struggling with finding your identity in God, I would say put that one on your bathroom mirror. You are mine. We're trying to, talking about today avoiding an identity dilemma or an identity crisis. Having an identity does not mean, only mean that you are someone. That's part of it. But it also means knowing who you are and where you are with God. It does matter who we are and it does matter who we aren't. That we find that place of identity. There's, there's only one real answer to determining our true identity. And that is from the one who gave us life to begin with. The only place we can find real identity is in God himself. Apart from our maker, we cannot truly realize our identity or be fulfilled where we are. I've been using this example for for uh, almost 50 years. So that's interesting, 50 years. There was a movie back in the middle 70s by the title of The Quester Tapes. Does anybody remember that movie? I would be shocked if you did. It wasn't a great movie. It was a uh, it was created by Gene Roddenberry and those of you Trekkies know that Gene Roddenberry created Star Trek. And it featured a an android in, in this movie who, by the way, I read where Gene Roddenberry fashioned later to come Data in the Star Trek The Next Generation after this particular android in this movie. I can't recommend the movie because it might have some stuff in there I couldn't recommend. It's a cheap movie anyway. Uh, you see some of the folks that, there, that was in it. The android spends a good bit of this movie searching all over the world for his creator, the guy who made him, put him together. And finally, someone asked this android why the particular, he had a particular drive to find his builder, and he replied this. I I almost fell down. I think I watched this movie in 1975, 76, something like that. He said, I will never be complete until I find my creator. Let's take a lesson from a robot. You will never find your identity. You will never be complete 
without your Creator. Thank God most of us in this room not only have found our Creator, but more importantly, He found us. None of us can be complete and satisfied without being connected to our Creator. In Bible times, names meant something. Now today, we just drop a handful of silverware, and whatever it sounds like, that's what we name our child. I know that's probably not true, but sometimes I wonder when I hear names. But there was a time when names meant something. Think about Moses meant drawn out because he was drawn out of the the water, the bulrushes. Noah's name meant comfort. Isaac means he laughs because Abraham and Sarah both laughed when God told them they were going to have a baby. And if I was pushing a 100 and God told me we were going to have a baby, I would cry. I don't know about that laughing part. As a matter of fact, if I'm, I'm pushing 70 and I don't want to hear it now. And then God would change names according to where they are in life. Think about the fact that Jacob, name who meant deceiver, God said, now you're going to be called Israel, which means he struggles with God. Abram, which means exalted father, God said, from now on, you'll be called Abraham, which means father of many nations. Changed his name. Sarai, which meant princess. It was limited to Abraham, princess of Abraham. He changed her name to Sarah, which most people think means princess of all people. It's a very close word, but princess of everybody. So God would change these names. To Why? Because names are important to God. When we have, when we enter into a new relationship with God, He gives us a new name. Remember Jesus said to Cephas, from now on, I'm going to call you Little Rock, which is Peter. I'm going to change your name. Somewhere along the way, we don't see this happen, but somewhere along the way in the book of Acts, Luke is writing the book of Acts, and at some point in the book of Acts, Saul becomes Paul. Names mean things. Isaiah said it this way, or God said it through Isaiah, I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. And he's talking about you. And in Revelation, Jesus said, To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. You say, well, I don't know exactly what my name is. Well, you will one day, but what you do know now is that when you came to Christ and you were converted, you were you were radically and supernaturally changed, you became a new creature, new creation. And you have a new name. From the Kernels of Truth in October of 2004, I hope you don't mind me quoting that guy. The God who knows and can identify every hair on our head and gives us every breath as a gift from heaven gives us a new name. One that will be an everlasting name and will never go away. He gives us an identity that will endure and no one can take away from us. 
It is our identity in and from him. When the awesomeness, watch this part, when the awesomeness of that truth really sinks in, we are able to relax and cease striving and revel in who we are in and before Almighty God. Kernels of Truth, 2000, as you see up there, if you have volume six of the book, it's in there. I noticed there was two copies out on the shelf this morning. So we're looking to avoid this identity crisis, this identity dilemma, understanding that the only identity that will last, the only identity that will survive is the one that we receive from God himself. We can create all of these other ones, and it just won't work. It won't last. So Jesus becomes our example in the passage that we read today of, of him going into the wilderness, immediately following his baptism. He's baptized by John the Baptist, and the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in, with whom I am well pleased. I want to point something out this morning. You would have thought that God the Father would have said, This is the Messiah. Worship him. He didn't say that. You would have thought that he would have said, This is your Savior. Come to him. All of us know that both of those are true. But that's not what God said. God said, This is my beloved Son. This is, he could have said, this is my beloved son. He's also your Messiah. He's also your Savior. He didn't say that. He said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Don't miss this. God in that moment was speaking the truth about his son. And when he said that, the I am well pleased part was just as much a part of his identity as was This is my son. This is my son. I am well pleased. Therefore, it matters only what the Father says about us. It only matters what the Father says about you. There are people in your life who will try to put things on you. Maybe I'll mention this again later. There are people who try to put things on you. I have a message that I teach, especially when I go to, uh, I've done it at the National Rescue Mission with the men there and uh, different situations for people in recovery. And the message is, what is your name? And when God's wrestling with Jacob, he's, he's, he, his name, what is your name? And Jacob had to say, my name is the deceiver. He said, no longer. And I asked the question, who has put something on you? Who has put a name on you like deceiver? No good. Never amount to anything. A lot of people under the sound of my voice, both in this room and over the Internet, are carrying around name tags that somebody else put on them. And I want to tell you this morning that you you need to let that thing fall to the ground. Because it only matters what God says. And you'll never hear those words from God. We learn not just because of our relationship with God, but we learn through psychology that our identity, 
We find our identity in fatherhood, which is why fatherhood is so important today. Now, we know that children find their identity in a mother too, but how many of you know that a home with a godly father and a godly mother and obedient children, that's the home that we all want. We don't always get that, but that's what we want. This is why children strive to please their fathers. Anybody who observed little children, they want to please their mother, but boy, they really soak it up when they know they've pleased their father. There's something about it. It has to, it's got to have something to do with understanding. Even secular psychologists tell us that little children's image of God is based on their natural earthly father. And I know some of you who are fathers going, oh my God. <laughs> But fatherhood, the real godly, it comes from fatherhood. It comes from God the Father. And with the decay of the family in today's society and the increase of what I call renegade or absentee fathers, renegade fathers are those who have reneged on their duties. It's no wonder that we have many people who struggle daily with their own identity when we have fathers not not being present, and when they are present, they're still absentee. We have fathers who have reneged on their responsibilities as fathers, and because of that, we have people trying to find an identity somewhere else. The enemy, our enemy, will always test our identity. So if he can shake us and make us question who we are in God, then he can thwart our participation in the advancement of the kingdom of God and its activity. I'm convinced that the devil is not so much interested in keeping you from going to heaven. Some of you, he wished you'd go today. Because you are... You are trouble for him. But I am convinced that he wants to try to thwart us from being effective in the earth for God's kingdom. And if he can get us to to question who we are in him, then he's won the battle whether we stay here or not. It was no accident, in my opinion, in the passage that we read that Satan started his conversation with Jesus by these words, if you really are the Son of God. For many years, I missed that. I looked at all the temptations that the devil gave him, and one day I was looking at that passage, and I saw that word, if. If you are, if you really are the Son of God. He starts off his temptation by, by trying to thwart Jesus' identity. You know, but why? The most recent thing Jesus had heard from his father's mouth was, this is my beloved son. And what seems like, I know it was longer, but what seems like a few minutes later, the devil's going, if you're son of God. God, this is my beloved son. Now, if you really are. How many of you understand that when the God gives you a word and drops something in you and you know it to be true, who's the next guy coming along? 
old slew foot. What proceeded out of the mouth of God was an affirmation of Jesus as his son. The devil said, if you really are, the most recent word, there are basically four, I'm not going to cover them in detail, but the basically four areas of temptation here that the devil attempted to uh, disarm and disable Jesus' authority, uh, identity. And, of course, the first thing was to test out his identity. The second was appetite, you make some bread. The second one, the third one was presumption, jump off this here. You know, God will save you. And the fourth one was selfish ambition or ego. Obviously, none of them, none of them were successful. Jesus uh, withstood the assault. The Bible says, or Jesus said, John 8, I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. How many of us can say that? I can tell you who you are, but you need to know who you are. See, it's not enough for me to tell you. You need to hear the voice of your Father. And then John 13, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. So here, Jesus demonstrates for us this ability to find his identity in his Father. I know who I am. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I don't have any issues. And he didn't deal with flesh like we do. Because our flesh jumps in there and starts squalling at us and our enemy. Jesus, after rebuffing the enemy, he says, I know who I am. I know where I came from. I came from the Father. I'm going back to the Father. By the way, it's interesting that the devil said, if you're hungry, make some bread out of these stones. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. Everybody say word. That proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And what word had he just heard? This is my beloved son. My father-in-law said, you also have to have peanut butter. Man shall not live by bread alone. You must have peanut butter. So the question today is, who are you? Who are you? And because the Son, Jesus, was settled about who he was in the Father, he could go get a basin of water and a towel and wash their feet because he didn't have to worry about propping up an identity. He didn't have to worry about looking bad. He didn't have to worry about anything. He was saddled. Everybody say settled in his identity and who he was in the father. And so it didn't really matter. And he wasn't threatened. He could serve the disciples. He said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. The only way you're really going to be a servant is if you're settled in your identity in God. Who are you? And when we are not settled in our identity, we usually try to defend a false one. We try to prop up a false one. We try to find an identity in other things, other people. See, I started to wear purple and gold today. And I, and I should have, 
but I decided to do Johnny Cash. Uh, But I thought to myself, is that going to project an identity that I love LSU football? Now, I'll tell you that the latter statement is true. And basketball. and Anyway. But you can enjoy a sports team. Some of you kind of like the Titans, I know. and Maybe one or two of you that wear orange occasionally. Congratulations on a win. But you can do that without that being your identity. I have met people that their sports team is their identity. They have no other identity, so they adopt that or any number of things. We try to defend a false one, and that becomes self-preservation. Remember David? He's, he's t- t- tending his father's quote-unquote few sheep. And his father said, here, take some food to to the armies. And David walks. It's it's sort of like when David is on his way to their camp, he sees this giant over here, Goliath, who somewhere around nine and a half, ten feet tall. And he's, he's blasting and defaming the name of God. And David's saying, what, what's going on with this guy? How come y'all not out there challenging him? And of course, because Saul was the king, they were all cowering and afraid, even his brothers. They were afraid to go out and challenge Goliath. And David said, I'll go. Oh, you're just a little runt. And what his brother said, he just, you go back and tend those few sheep you've been dealing with. He said, no, I, I'm not going to let him defy God like that. But you, you can't, you know, let me, Saul said, okay, if you want to go. Now, here's my armor. Put it on. Now, you know, Saul, I think we'll talk about this next week. We're going to ask him next week to try to talk about being secure and who we are. But Saul, the Bible says Saul was head and shoulders taller than everybody else. And yet he had problems too. So here's David, little ruddy runt David, might have been 16 years old. I don't know. And here's Saul putting his armor on him. And David put it on for a few minutes, and then he took it back off and handed it to Saul. I'm not going to wear that. Because David knew who he was and who his God was. And he walked out to that giant and said, Who are you to defy the armies of the living God? He had to do it like this, you know. I mean, we know the story. Goliath got so excited he lost his head over the deal. <laughs> and David was victorious. And Saul said, you can have all it. I don't want any of that. And just like David rejected Saul's armor, we should reject and refuse to accept false identities. And as I said earlier, they're usually given to us by other people. We need to find out what God says about us. We need to find out what God thinks about us. I've read you several scriptures this morning. There's a lot more. And they're true about you. 
And here's the interesting. After the victory over Goliath, Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? Who you belong to? And David answered proudly, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. He knew who he was. He knew who he belonged to. He knew who his father was. Servant Jesse. I pray this morning, and I'm going to give us a summary and we'll get out of here. But I pray this morning that you, if you struggled with your identity, who who am I really? You see, oh goodness, your job is not your identity. That's what I wanted to, that's really what I wanted to point out when I, when Jesus, when the Father didn't say, didn't identify Jesus by what he was doing and who he was. He didn't say, this is the Messiah or this is the Savior. All of those are true. But that was not his identity. His identity was he was the Son of God. And all that was great, but his identity was in God. Your identity is not your job. Your identity is not what you do for a living. Your identity is your relationship to God himself as your father. And the more you can embrace that, and the more that can become real to you, the more you can settle down, you can stop striving, and you can live your life without all of that stuff going on. So what is our summary today? Identity comes from fatherhood, number one. Talked about that enough. Number two, what God says about us trumps what any, excuse me, I'm being political. What (laughs) What God says about us trumps what anyone else thinks or says about us. I'm going to go back to that one again. Too many times our parents have put name tags on us. Meaning well, well meaning. I don't think any of our parents sat around and thought, how can I mess up this child? How can I, how can I confuse this child? I don't think any parent does that, but think about it. A lot of times our parents have got their own issues and they say things like you'll never amount to anything. or You'll never be able to do that. Daddy, I want to play major league baseball. My dad said, ain't no way you'll ever play major league baseball. Well, dad gummit, he was right. What God says. Number three, God accepts us. Here we go. Where we are, not where he desires us to be. What? God accepts you right where you are. He doesn't, God never says to us, if you get to this point, I'm going to, I'm going to accept you. No, he never does that. He says, I accept you. This is exactly where you are. Now we know the rest of that goes like this. But he loves us too much to leave us there. Number four, a firm identity allows us to become vulnerable in servanthood. Your best servitude will come out of a settled and secure identity. Because you don't have anything to prop up. Number five, affirmation is a key to establishing identity. God said, in whom I am well pleased. We were talking recently about someone that all they wanted, all they desired was their father to say to them, I'm proud of you. And they never heard it. They never heard those words. 
affirmation. Number six, and we'll deal with this more next week, security is born out of knowing who we are. See, with your settled identity, you become a secure individual, and you're not shaken by everything. And knowing who we are is born out of knowing to whom we belong. Knowing who we are is born out of knowing to whom we belong. It's about your relationship with God. It's about your relationship with God, your Father. That plays out and works out in our relationship with our earthly fathers. But I want to tell you, you might have had a a bad earthly father. You might have had a renegade or absentee father. And you say, you don't know who might be. But I'm going to tell you what, God the Father can overcome all of that. And he does. Thank God if we had an earthly father who emulated some measure of God's character to us and we didn't have to struggle like some people do. But when that, even when that's not so, God overcomes that. Isaiah 62 says, You shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. And I want to tell you today, that when you came to Christ, you were regenerated by the power of God. At that moment, when God translated you, transferred you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, at that moment, God gave you a new name. And you still got it. And your new name comes from your father, who says... This is my beloved son or my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. You say, well, God's not pleased with me. Well, then repent from whatever it is that you're doing or not doing that he's not pleased. That's why he said, you know, if anybody says they don't have any sin in their life, then they don't have the truth. They're a liar. I didn't call you a liar. God did. But then the next verse is so great because it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And right back where we're right back where we started now, washed in the blood of Jesus, forgiven of our sin. And now we can hold our head up and move on because God threw it into the sea of forgetfulness. And here we go. Now, are you somebody? Say it louder. Amen. Stand with me. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit has done more in our hearts and lives today and will continue to do so than I have been able to articulate. I pray that the, that the work and the power of the Spirit would continue in our hearts as we, even as we leave here today, going out differently than we came in. I pray, Lord God, that you would make it real to us that you are our Father. You are our Abba Father. And that as we go about our life, go about our days, go about the mission that you've put us on, that we would do so with our head held high, knowing who we are and that we are in you. And that we would not 
put on false identities. We would not accept false identities, but we would only accept the white stone from you. And then help us to live our days in confidence and security. Thank you for our time together today in the presence of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that your presence go with us as we go out of here. I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus and everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You dismissed.